I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12 and through the end of chapter 2. Hear now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come, and while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the fork brought up the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So they would return to their home. Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil do dealings with all the people. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honored your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men." And this shall come upon your two sons. Hophni and Phinehas shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. 
And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. And so ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, you have said that your word would not return to you void, but would accomplish its purpose. And we pray that it would do that this morning. I pray that you would purify our hearts and our minds, set our hearts and minds on the truth that is in Jesus, and help us to glorify you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. From the heights of Hannah's prayer of exaltation and praise in the God who saves Pages of scripture took this dark and ominous turn with the words, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. Literally, what the author says is that they were sons of Belial, sons of wickedness, of rebellion, of sons of worthlessness. And they were worthless men, wicked men, because they did not know the Lord. Now, that might not come as too much of a surprise to us, understanding that this is at the tail end of the age of the judges, a dark time in Israel's history when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They turned from the Lord in faithlessness, but it should be shocking to us. and It was shocking to them because these were priests of God Most High. These were appointed men to lead God's people in worship, to instruct the people in holiness, to represent the people before the Almighty God in God's house. And yet these men did not know the Lord, even though they were priests, raised by a priest, the priest Eli. They did not know the Lord. And their, their wickedness wasn't just in a lack of knowledge, but it worked itself out in wicked living. The Lord in his law had graciously given to the priests a portion of his offering. The, the law prescribed that the worshipers would bring their animals to be sacrificed before the Lord as a burnt offering, and they would slaughter the animal, and they would offer it on the altar as a burnt offering. And the first portion of that burnt offering, the fat portion, was to go up as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And after that was done, then the rest was for the priests. That was their provision from the Lord out of the gift that was brought to the Lord. From the gift to God was a gift to the priests. But these wicked men were not content in receiving what was given to them. And their wickedness was progressive. At first, their approach was simply this. When the meat was brought and was boiled on the altar, they would take a three-pronged fork and stab it into the pot or the cauldron and take out for themselves whatever they caught, a sort of unsanctified potluck. But that wasn't sufficient because their wickedness, their theft progressed to the point where they wanted to choose their piece of meat before it had been offered on the altar, before the fat had been burned, while it was still raw. In other words, before the Lord had received his portion. And so they would demand, give me this meat before it's burned. The priest will only accept raw meat as though he was in some sort of meat market or high-class restaurant where the, the, the house of God was there to satisfy their needs and they wanted to choose their piece of meat. 
even though their job was to instruct the people in holy living. Here, the, their wickedness was so evident that the people of God sought to rebuke the priests. And if the man said, no, please let me offer to the Lord his portion, let the fat be burned, and then you can take what you want, these wicked men would say, no, give it to me now or I will take it by force. And as if that theft and that corruption of worship wasn't enough, they used their priestly position to satisfy their adulterous lusts. Women would come to serve at the entrance to the tent of meeting, and these men would, these priests would lie with these women to satisfy their adulterous desires. And the wickedness was evident to all of Israel. It became a stench in the Lord's nostrils. And as it began to be socialized and well-known, word of it came to Eli's ears. Certainly, Eli knew of his son's wickedness well before this. They were his sons, in fact, and they served in the very same tabernacle. And yet, it's not until he hears a report from the people that he approaches his sons. And he, he does so, and he rebukes them, and he says, No, my sons, this report that I hear is not good. You are sinning against the Lord. You must stop this. This is evil. It's not right. Surely that was a sufficient response. I think for the majority of churches today, that might be a sufficient response of the church authority to members of the church. I mean, come on, these men, Hophni and Phineas, these were grown men. And they were, they were leaders in the church. They were priests. Surely we just need to rebuke and offer up God's word and then be patient to wait for God's repentance to come. Pray for them. Show them grace. Surely that should be enough. Well, beloved, in this case, that was surely not a sufficient response. Or put it another way, it was a sufficient response to earn God's rejection, God's judgment. Because immediately on the scene comes this man of God, this man of God, uh, who seems to be a prophet, although we don't know who he is. He comes bearing a message on behalf of the Lord. He says, thus says the Lord. And he comes with a threefold message of judgment. First, he says, remember. Remember how I have honored you. Remember how I have shown you my grace. Remember how you and all of Israel were slaves in Egypt under the bondage of a pharaoh and how I revealed myself to you. I made myself known to you. Remember that. Remember, Eli, how the house of Levi, I chose you to be my priests. I chose your tribe to represent your people in my presence. And I gave you a ministry of offering sacrifices to me, of interceding for my people before me. You wore the linen ephod with the stones, with the engraved names of the tribes of Israel. You represented all of your people in my presence. I welcomed you into my presence. And if that wasn't enough, 
Remember how I honored you by giving you a portion of my offerings. I was your portion. I gave you out of mine. So second, how dare you? How dare you scorn my offerings? How dare you despise me and what I have given to you? So therefore, third, I have rejected you. I have rejected you. I promised that your fathers and your tribe would, would, would serve me forever. Now, far be it from me. Far be it from me, for I have rejected you. I will surely cut you off. And as a sign to you, I will give you the sign of death. On a single day, both of your sons will be put to death. Because I will honor those who honor me, but those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And you have despised me, even though I honored you. But even still, I will surely raise up for myself a faithful priest, one who is a man after my own heart, who does all that is in my heart and all that is in my mind, and I will give him a sure house, and he will go in and out before my anointed forever. And beloved, just at the beginning of this chapter, in Hannah's prayer, she had prayed, O Lord, There is none holy like the Lord. There is no one like you. And dear friends, there is no one that is holy other than the one true and living God. And God must be regarded as holy. God will regard himself as holy. And those who draw near to him must be holy. We must serve him with holy fear. We must honor him and revere him and praise him and adore him. And yet Eli did not. And to whom much is given, much is expected. Notice that it's not Hophni and Phinehas whom the Lord approaches, but it is Eli whom the Lord rebukes. But what was, it, what was Eli supposed to do? What was he really supposed to do? I mean, he came and he, he rebuked his sons. He, he exhorted them that they were sinning against the Lord. And they didn't listen. It just says that they, they would not listen to the voice of their father. And then it says something very surprising. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. This tells us something very important about the nature of true, godly repentance unto life. Something that we see throughout the pages of Scripture is that repentance, true repentance before our God is something that must be given to us. Repentance is a necessary element of being found in Christ Jesus. We must repent of our wickedness and turn to the living God. But repentance is not of us or from us. It must be given to us. We see that throughout Scripture. In, in Paul's letters to Timothy, he, he says something that's surprising. Repentance often comes through the, 
uh, usually comes through the ministry of the word, the, the preaching of the word, the reading of God's word, and yes, even our interpersonal uh, interactions with one another, holding one another accountable to the word. And Paul says to Timothy, he says that we must correct our opponents with gentleness. And then he says this remarkable and wonderful perhaps. He says, perhaps God may give them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth so that they may escape the snare of the devil, having been captured by him to do his will. It's a perhaps. Perhaps God will give repentance. We must be faithful in these things, but God may perhaps. It's not a certain thing. We can't force repentance. We can't create repentance. God must give repentance. And in this situation, God did not desire to give repentance, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. But hold on, you might be thinking, but I thought God's word says that it is not, that God does not desire that any should perish. And that's absolutely true. God does not desire that any should perish. And since God has revealed both of these things to us, it's necessary for us to do what we can to reconcile these two wonderful truths and yet this is one of those mysteries of God that we can only understand in part, but we must do the best that we can. It is absolutely true that God does not desire that any should perish. God would, desires that all should repent, that all should put their faith in Jesus Christ, that all should bow the knee to Christ and receive the salvation that is, that is given to him, that is offered in Christ Jesus. And yet none will repent. None will have saving faith unless it is given to them. It is given to them. God's desire that none should perish is not the same as saying that God has a purpose to save all. In fact, Scripture says just the opposite. That God has a purpose to save some. Jacob I have loved. Esau I have hated. But beloved, the wonderful truth is that all who were foreordained before the foundation of the world to be saved in Jesus Christ will be given the gift of repentance. All who are beloved from all eternity by our God in Christ Jesus will come to saving faith. Everyone will be saved. Not a single one will be lost. Everyone that is a beneficiary of this glorious perhaps will have eternal life. So the question, brothers and sisters, is this. Have you been a beneficiary of God's glorious perhaps? Have you received sight of the fact that apart from Christ Jesus, you are wicked in his sight, that your, skin, your sins are awful, Hate, uh, that God hates that wickedness that is within you, that you are a rebel, dishonoring the holy God, impure in every thought, word, and deed. Do you, have you sensed that wickedness? And have you had a holy desire to repent of that? Have you had eyes to see the beauty of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, being given to you to bear the punishment for your sins, that his holiness might be yours, that you might be righteous in his sight. And have you clung to him for all of your might and all of your righteousness, 
try, do, doing everything you can to be found in him. Beloved, if you can say that, if that is your heart's hope, then rejoice because God's glorious perhaps is a certainty for you. God has lavished his love and his grace upon you and that is something that is not for all. But he has loved you particularly so that you might be his. But beloved, if that doesn't describe you, I would urge you to hear God's word speaking to you and urge you to take God's word and hold it up as a mirror of what God sees in you. This wickedness, this worthlessness of not knowing the Lord, that is who we all are apart from Christ Jesus. Those are our sins. Our, our sins, that God cannot look at wickedness. He hates it. And apart from Christ Jesus, it is his will to put you to death. But the good news of the gospel, beloved, is that Jesus Christ has come and God has appointed heralds to proclaim the gospel, to put your faith in Christ, to repent of your wickedness, to hide yourself in the holiness of Jesus Christ. He has done this for you. Put your faith in Christ and walk in him, pursuing this holiness that he requires. But if, if God is the one who gives repentance and if it was the will of God to put them to death, then what was Eli's sin? Why was Eli rejected? Well, the Lord says, because you honored your sins, or you honored your sons above me. Eli failed to take swift action. He did not regard the holiness of his God as a higher priority than his sons. He did not remove them from the priesthood. He did not cast them out of God's holy place. He did not preserve the purity of God's worship. He did not protect God's people from these corrupt priests. He honored his sons above the Lord. And beloved, our actions, our actions show our true heart intent. Eli did not protect the holiness of worship and the holiness of God's presence because he did not regard the Lord as holy. Beloved, throughout all of Scripture, there are stories upon stories of God commending those who regard the Lord as holy and preserve his holiness despite the effect of brothers, sisters, fathers and mothers, husbands and wives. Consider when the Levites were called to be the priests of God Most High. Moses was up on the mountain receiving God's covenant and the Ten Commandments, and the people of Israel created the golden calf. The Lord was furious. The Lord promised to, vow to remove them, to start over, to wipe them all out. And Moses was righteously angry. He broke the Ten Commandments, the tablets with the Ten Commandments. And Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? And the Levites said, here are we. 
And he said, the Lord says, strap on a sword, each one of you, and go throughout the camp from gate to gate and strike down anyone who has served this idol. And they killed 3,000 of their brothers and their sons that day. And so the Lord said, I now appoint you as my priest because you were zealous for me. In the book of Numbers, at the end of the, the book of Numbers, as the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, the Israelite men prostituted themselves with women of Moab, and the Lord was furious. And as he was speaking to Moses and Aaron, even while he was telling them of these things, a man brazenly took a Moabite woman into his tent right in front of their very eyes. And Phinehas, not this Phinehas, but his namesake, a very different man, in holy zeal, picked up a spear and went into the tent and struck down the man and the woman. And the Lord was pleased. The Lord's wrath abated. A plague ceased. And then the Lord said to this, I give to Phineas my covenant of peace because he was zealous for me with my zeal. He was zealous for the purity of the Lord. And there are other stories but then when we get to the pages of the New Testament, we see the very Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, going into the temple and seeing corrupt, corrupted worship in the very house of God. And he is furious with the zeal of the Lord. He sees money changers buying and selling, and he overturns the tables. He makes a whip, and he casts them out. And he says, zeal for your house shall consume me. Beloved, our God is zealous for holiness and purity. And know this, the basis of our salvation is God's zeal for holiness. Because God cannot look at sin. He cannot look at that wickedness. He cannot deal with it. It must be put to death. He's not going to overlook it. He's not going to just talk hard to it. It must be put to death. And so out of his gracious mercy, he sent his son to bear the weight of that. He poured out his wrath on his son so that he could deal with that. So that, the Apostle Paul says, he might purify us as a people for himself who are zealous for good works. Who are zealous for the purity of our God. And even as we get into the New Testament, we see more exhortations for us to pursue this purity and this holiness within God's people. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul is exhorting the, the church in Corinth because there were men who were having adulterous relationships with their father's wives. And he said, you haven't done anything about it. You're letting this infect the whole body. You should be casting them out. This wickedness cannot remain among you. And even more so for leaders of God's church. Paul told Timothy, he said, do not entertain a charge against an elder except on the witness of two or three witnesses, but for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, that all may stand in fear. And in the presence of God and his elect angels, I urge you, I exhort you, do all things without prejudging and show no partiality. God will have us pursue purity and his peace. And beloved, those, those two things have to go in that particular order. One might say that Eli was pursuing the, the peace of, of the house, his own household at least. So he, he didn't want to stir the pot too much. And in the PCA, 
For us who are members, we've all taken vows to pursue the purity and peace of the church. As officers, officers take a vow to pursue the purity, peace, unity, and edification of the church. But those two things, purity and peace, have to go in that order. There is, think of that, that story I just told you about Phineas in, in the wilderness. God gave his covenant of peace once there was purity. Once he purified the people of that wickedness. That's the gospel message, beloved, is that God sought the purity of his people. We've been purified by his blood and therefore we have peace with God. True peace comes through holiness and purity and we must be zealous for that purity. Beloved, that has to come with a single-minded love for our God. Our God, that, that's the only way that we can truly pursue this holiness. Eli's offense was that he honored his sons above the Lord. And our love for God must be a supreme love. The first and greatest commandment for us, beloved, is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind. It must be our supreme love, and it must be our first love. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idols. And as we read from our law passage, Jesus said, if you love your father or your mother or your son or your daughter or your brother or your sister or your husband or your wife more than me, you are not worthy of me. That is the heart of true faith, is loving the Lord God above all others. That's the heart of true faithful obedience, beloved. But of course, God is not stingy with his love because when we love the Lord with all of our heart, we will truly love our neighbor as ourself. And that was also Eli's offense. He was not loving his sons. He was not honoring his sons because he put them above honoring the Lord. He didn't, they were in danger. We neglect to realize the dangerous position our sins place us and the sins of our loved ones. And he left them and they lost their life. But even though tragic for Eli and fatal for her sons, beloved, even this was God's gracious purpose for us. For even though he was, it was God's will to put them to death, it was also his gracious will to raise up for himself a perfect high priest, a, a faithful high priest, a man after God's own heart. And who was, who was this priest that he's talking about? Well, in one sense seems to be talking about Samuel. We're getting these hints of this faithful Samuel, this, this boy who in the midst of this wickedness is ministering faithfully before the Lord. The one, this boy who's clothed in priestly garments, this uh, linen ephod and this little robe that his mother is making for him. He will see him rise to prominence starting in next week's passage. As we read through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel and even into 1 Kings, we see that there's a new priesthood that is coming, a priesthood of the line of Zadok. And we'll have to see that in just a little while. But ultimately, 
This is pointing ahead to our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the true and faithful son, the one who is a man who is truly after God's own heart. He did all of God's, all that was on his heart and all that was on his mind. He loved the Lord his God above his earthly parents in every way. He loved the Lord his God above his brothers and the, the will of man. And he loved the Lord his God above even his own life. He came to do the Father's will, to offer up himself as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice. He was willing to speak the truth and take action in accordance with the truth, regardless of what it brought about in his life. And even when he was rejected and crucified, he lived with an holy reverence in spite of the scorn and the rejection and the shame that he would face. He loved the Lord, his God, with all of his heart and all of his mind and all of his soul and all of his strength. And he loved his neighbor as himself because he laid down his life for us. And as a result, beloved, Hebrews tells us that God has made him our perfect high priest, our perfect representative. He offered himself as the perfect sacrifice the perfect pleasing aroma to the Lord our God. He, he dwells now in God's presence, not the tabernacle made by man, but the heavenly tent made by God, interceding for us forever and ever. And beloved, we must, all of us, we must love the Lord our God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. But in ourselves, we cannot and we do not and so we are sinners in the sight of a holy God. But Jesus did that for us. And know this, that when our faith is in Jesus Christ, his perfect love, his perfect holiness is yours and mine. In him, you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. Know that. That is how God sees you. And rejoice in that. But having been found that way in him, we must grow in it. We are connected to the vine and no good tree bears bad fruit. We must bear the fruit. We must grow in that love. We must regard the Lord as holy and put to death our self-love, our, our idolatrous love, which is such that is there. Jesus Christ bore that self-love and your idolatrous love of other people and his body on the cross and has been put to death. So you must put it to death in your mortal bodies. Beloved, if we have any hope, it is in the perfection of Jesus Christ because that is the holiness that God requires from us and he has accomplished it for us and he is working it in us so we must pursue it with all of our might. Beloved, God says, I will honor those who honor me and those who despise me, I will lightly esteem. That is an immutable law of our God. That is the way of our God. And Jesus Christ honored our God perfectly for us. And in him, 
we honor him perfectly. There is no other name by which we ought to be saved. In Christ Jesus, God's grace is so abundant that we get a portion of his sacrifice in that we receive honor and blessing and glory in Christ Jesus because we are found in him. Beloved, this is our hope. This is our only hope. We must put our faith in Christ Jesus and in his faithfulness, walk in him, be clothed in his righteousness, pursue his purity and peace in our own lives and in the life of this church. And in Christ Jesus, beloved, we honor him and we love him above all other things. And for those whom we honor the Lord, he promises honor and praise forever and ever in eternal life. Let's rejoice in that gift that is ours in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have sent your Son to give us life. We recognize that we deserve to be put to death, and yet you have given us life in your Son, Jesus Christ. We realize that we are wicked and worthless in ourselves, and yet you have given us your pure and holy Son to clothe us and to cleanse us. Help us to walk in him. Help us to rejoice with gladness in the gift that we've been, we've, we've been given in him. Help us to give you honor and praise. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.